Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Elizabeth Reese. I'm Marjorie Punnett. This is Best the Nest, the podcast that is all about creating happy, healthy, beautiful homes that prepare us to fly. And Marjorie, sometimes in your home, you want people there with you. Other times, (laughs) you don't. You don't. And And turns out that might even apply to your own husband. Gwyneth Paltrow is inspiring our episode of Best to the Nest today, and I like it. What's she up to now, Marjorie Punnett? What's she up to now is she's defining how to be married. Now, she's, she's gotten married for a second time. She was married to... Chris Martin from Coldplay, and then they famously divorced, uncoupled. Consciously Um, uncoupled, yes. They consciously have uncoupled, but now Gwyneth has given an interview to the Sunday Times, and she's talking about how she and her new husband have an unconventional marriage because they only live together four days out of the week. Now, this is interesting because she said that she was following the advice of her intimacy teacher, who, okay, yeah, do do you want to sit in that a little bit? In the intimacy teacher? I have to laugh at it. I love it. I love teachers of all kind. And I'm all about having a village of experts that you call on for different things. But it does sound, it does sound pretty affected. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? That's the perfect word for it. You know, I laughed the first time I read that. And then I kept thinking about, could I have benefited from an intimacy teacher? A thousand percent, yes. One thousand percent. I know. I'm totally agree. Anybody with a fiercely independent streak, like you, (laughs) like me, probably many of our best to the nesters. Yes. You might benefit from an intimacy coach. Okay, so what did her coach say? How, or her teacher, rather? How how was this idea of not living together full time coming to play? What her teacher taught her was that she, that Gwyneth needed to create a polarity in her marriage. A polarity, so a distance between the two. So what they do, they live together for four days, and then the other days that they're they're apart. So they try and stay together at least four days. Now, what's also interesting about this, and this I do admire, because I think parents of blended families have to be very sensitive to what their children are going through when they remarry. Totally That's agree. a huge adjustment. I mean, first of all, your kids have to go through the divorce, which is a huge adjustment. I think when people are unhappy, I don't have a problem with divorce, but I think you have to be hyper aware of how that's affecting your kids. And I think when you remarry, obviously, these are obvious points. You have to be hyper aware. So the idea was that the kids, he has two children, she has two children, they remain in their homes. And then Gwyneth, and Brad figure out the rest of that. So there's a certain amount of stability and continuity for the children. It, you know, I think that's the a good whole, thing. I, I agree. And the whole idea, really, when you think about it, of the children after a divorce having to be the ones that are shuttling back and forth from house to house. I mean, if we flipped that script, wouldn't that 
change so many things. Number one, I honestly think that it would lower the divorce rate. I think that if we had this concept of the parents are the ones that have to move, you would right. go, well, that's too inconvenient for me. Because it's <laughs> it, really, I mean, it is, it's, you know, when you start to logistically think, and if you're going to, if you are going to divorce, and I, you know, I'm the same way with you with divorce. I'm not, I'm not casting judgment on divorce. But no. if I think about myself and if I right. thought, okay, if things got really out of control right. and we were looking at that as an option, which uh-huh. I mean, God forbid that happens because I, I don't look at that as an option. But right. if we were, if you we were to think about how inconvenient it would be for me to have to pack up from my apartment and come back to the house to take care of the kids and then go back to the apartment and mm-hmm. then for my husband, ex-husband to do the same thing. I mean, the parents, you, you, it, that sounds worse for the parents, but right. I, th- which means how bad is it for the kids? I mean, you do miss that stability is really important. And for kids shuttling back and forth, I think that's hard on them, regardless of how consciously uncoupled you are. I do too. You know, and kids I, thrive on routine and stability and having their safe space and their home and having a split home is a challenge for children. A big challenge. And so I think I think there's as there was with the you know, with her divorce, I think she's bringing a lot of sensitivity to this that people like to sort of chatter about and talk about how privileged she is. But at the same time, there are lots of people who have as much money as Gwyneth Paltrow who do horrible things to their children because they don't think about they don't think about what their kids are going through. So I don't judge her in that way. So what's interesting is so a lot of people judge what how Gwyneth treats these situations. But I, I sort of admire it because she's doing I think what is right for her kids. What's interesting, though, and what got me thinking is the idea. So they live in separate houses in Los Angeles. He tends to stay with her at least four days a week. But this is the quote from Gwyneth. She said, all my married friends say that the way we live sounds ideal and we shouldn't change a thing. And which brings us that, to the question. <laughs> that's the jumping off point for the conversation yeah. today, which is yeah. really about this idea of creating boundaries within your marriage and a happy marriage leads to a happy nest. I mean, if you're unhappy in your marriage, it's really hard to have a really happy, healthy, sanctuary-like home. It's just hard because marriage is everything. And everyone expects, we understand ups and downs, and we understand that sometimes are hard and sometimes are not, and that you have to choose to be in the relationship every day. But I think that we talk about those things. We don't necessarily talk about having boundaries within our marriage. And especially when there's so much conversation about, you complete me, you're my everything, you're everything I needed in life is from you. And especially when you see sappy Father's Day posts <laughs> about your friends posting everything about yep. their husbands on Father's Day. I saw this meme that said how funny it is to see your friends post everything sappy and wonderful about their husband one day of the year and they just complain about them every other day of the year. <laughs> I thought that was kind of amusing. Uh, but you know, we paint this picture of marriage being the thing that is supposed to just complete us and solve everything. And we've got that person who unconditionally has our back and all of this. And I think that that stuff is really difficult to execute. And you have to adjust your expectations of what your marriage is supposed to give to you. It's funny that you say that because Ian and I were talking about this because of this article about Gwyneth Paltrow. And he was saying that he had just seen a TV commercial for a jewelry company. It was a diamond company. Of course. And it was all about have the special ring for your best friend. And he was saying, I never thought 
when I asked you to marry me, that you were going to be my best friend. There wasn't that expectation. He said, I wanted you to be my wife, but I never thought about it like you were also going to be my best friend. And he very sweetly said, it turned out that you are. (laughs) But he said that was not the expectation going into it. He said, I thought, you know, we'd have a great marriage and I would have my friends and you would have your friends. And it would just be a very, I didn't, I wasn't holding that as the standard of what our marriage was going to be. And he said, I think when they keep marketing it that way, it's too much pressure. I know. So we, I think, ended up becoming each other's best friends because we were moving around so much. So every time we would move, I mean, imagine, Elizabeth, we moved like seven times during our marriage. Yeah. We became best friends because, you you know, we would start new friend groups every city we would go to, but we would lose friends along the way. And so we became each other's constant. But for couples that aren't moving around the country like we did, it isn't a necessity. Your marriage isn't a failure if your spouse isn't your best friend. You know, and I'll take it one step further. I don't even think that your spouse should be your best friend. And I love that Ian says that to you. And I think that's that's very sweet and wonderful. But I yes. just think, and you guys are, I mean, you, even though, though, I think that you say your best friends, I don't think you really are because <laughs> that relationship <laughs> transcends best friendness, right? Yes. So yes. my my problem when everybody yes. says my husband is my best friend and and yeah. you can disagree with me, everybody can disagree with me on this if you want and you can define it for yourself. But my personal problem when you say my husband is my best friend, my husband is my husband and then my best friend is my best friend. Mm-hmm. When you're saying your husband is your best friend, it means that that person is expected to be so much in your life and yep. you need a husband. I mean, you don't need a husband, but it's nice to have a husband. It sure you, is. You need a best friend. All of these people that are in your village, if you can think about who they are, for me, it's my mom. It's my sisters. It's my best friend. It's my best friend at work. It's my close friends from college. It's the new friend that I just made. Marjorie, it's you. All of those people are in my village that are so important for me to have. And I just think when you start combining people in roles, number one, it just shrinks your village. And then number two, it puts so much more pressure on that relationship to be multiple things. Imagine if if you're thinking of your husband as your best friend and then you're in a fight with your husband. Well, now it's I'm annoyed or don't like or unhappy with my husband and my best friend in the same moment. And who else do I have to go to? And my thought is you need to incorporate unconditional love and non-judgmental relationships in as many as your super close relationships as you can get. And you are 100% right. Because when your world is small, like mine tends to be, I have a very close group of friends, very small. I don't have big expanded groups. I never have. And so when Ian and I would have a fight, the loneliness is so profound and deep because I don't have a lot of other people. I love that you're saying that. It's this, true. I mean, I love that you're that you're saying that because it, it's, that's a it, hard thing to say, but you are exactly bad. saying it right. <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> it's really bad. I will tell you, my therapist told me to get more friends. <laughs> he said, "What is?" He didn't say what is wrong with what you. What is wrong he with said, you? No, but he, he was, was maybe thinking it. He was totally thinking it. But I'm very, I'm very, I'm very, very introverted. Very introverted. And so it took me a long time when I would make a good friend. I mean, one of the friends that I'm going to see in a week, I've known since sixth grade. When I have you, you're going to stay in my life for a very long time. But my regret is 
I have met so many wonderful people along the way. I have so many friends in Minnesota. I'm terrible at keeping in touch. <laughs> I'm terrible in the casual maintenance of those friendships. And that is, that's wrong with me. But to your point, I love all those people. And they should be a more a part of my, not my day-to-day life, but I should be touching base with them so that when I need them, whether it's just for a laugh or I really, really need somebody, I have that resource. Well, it does make you feel less alone. I think that's absolutely... Absolutely true. Because if you feel like one relationship is on the rocks or Mm -hmm. you're in trouble in one relationship or you're struggling, if you have other strong relationships in your life, it's less it's less lonely. That's totally true. And and there are there's so much pressure that goes into a marriage. I mean, there's just there are so many expectations from little expectations. Why can't you do the dishes or why do you always leave your shoes in the middle of the floor? I'm not saying right. the floor shoes in the floor thing happens to me, but yes, it does. It happens all the time in my house. Oh why my are the shoes, shoes always in the middle of the floor? Shoes in the front entryway. Always just in the front entryway. Everybody. Everywhere. I just don't get it. But when you add up all those little things and then you also have the massive giant things that you go through with your spouse, I just think this concept of making our spouse our everything is asking for trouble. It's asking for disaster. I do too, 100%. And I think that the most important thing is to what you said earlier is just to make sure that you have lots of people in your village serving lots of different functions for you so that you don't have to feel alone when things are difficult. And I think if you put too much, too much pressure on your husband to be all of those things, it's unfair. It's yeah. just unfair. And we should clarify, husband, partner, whoever you have. Right, right, right. Yeah. All those. Husband, all those. partner. That just is what applies to us. So back to Gwyneth and Brad. So they have this, they have these sort of boundaries within their blended marriage. There's another thing about that that I do love. And I love the idea of if you're in a second marriage situation of having respect for the first family yes. and understanding that it's okay to preserve time with that first family, even when you have an expanded family. I know I have friends whose parents have gone on to marry other people people for whatever reason, and they are obsessed with having everyone together all the time. So every event is everybody's kids from everybody's marriage is all invited. And the people that I know who maybe lost their parent and then their other parent has gone on to remarry and welcome these other people into their family, there are times that they just want to sit around with the one parent they have left and talk about the parent they lost and just remember what their life was like in their home when it was just them as that initial unit. And I just think I love inclusivity and I think that's so important. But at the same time, there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, we're going to do a night with just us. How about just this little family? We're together for this night. It doesn't have to be everyone all All the time time. forcing. We're just so obsessed with forcing so much excessive happiness. It's just Just makes me mad. (laughs) Too much happiness makes me mad. Although, you know, in the same article, they talk about how when Gwyneth and Brad got married, they invited Chris Martin, her former husband, and his girlfriend, Dakota Johnson, Fifty Shades of Grey, Dakota Johnson. For sure. On their honeymoon. So they all went on a big honeymoon together. A big That's a weird honeymoon. boundary. That's weird. The honeymoon thing is weird. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I like but, the idea of doing like a trip or an event with right. the whole new family. Hey, we're married. You guys are together. These are all the people that are in our kids' lives. Let's show our kids how right. we get along and how we want to be part of each other's lives. But your honeymoon is for reading books and, <laughs> and sexy for, time. That's and it. For what? <laughs> and for what? And for sexy time. Sexy. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's what you do what on your honeymoon. Call it? Sexy time. Yeah. I like that. Okay, so I have to ask you the question, though. So we're going to go back to the quote we started with where Gwyneth said, all my married friends say that the way we live sounds ideal and we shouldn't change a thing. Would this situation... Now, everybody, let's just get... Let's let go of the economics. We're just sort of in fantasy land. I know this the economics of this, particularly for them, because you can imagine they're probably two pretty nice houses. <laughs> but let's let go of the economics and just say, would this be a situation that you could could ever see you and Jay doing. So at this point, it's so hard to imagine because we have two tiny kids. Right. We have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. So it's so hard to imagine that. But you know this, Marjorie. I mean, my parents lived apart for six years. My dad was working in St. Louis. He was running a foundation in St. Louis. And my mom didn't want to leave her business in Minnesota. And so they commuted back and forth. And they did six years of long weekends in St. Louis and then back. And and so I watched that. And I saw saw some good things and some bad things. And you can tell me if this is your experience with it because you and Ian do this and have done this for years in different periods. Number one, I think it helped them kind of figure out how to date again, which was really fun. My mom would talk about how when she would show up in St. Louis, my dad had a condo in St. Louis, that there was no housework at the condo. And so my dad would have gone to the grocery store and stocked the fridge with her favorite yogurts, her favorite snacks, and have a bottle of wine sitting out on the table ready to open when she got there. There's some tenderness. Yeah. And a plan of, hey, this guy at work told me about this really cool pizza place that he said that we have to try. So that's where I think we should go tonight. And so she would roll in and it would be a bottle of wine and her favorite treats in the fridge and then a little pizza night and no housework. And I think that part of it was really fun. And then on the downside, and my mom has talked about this and hopefully she'll forgive me for broadcasting it, but (laughs) she's talked to me about that. It became easy to be apart. And that is the time that starts to worry you about okay, how connected are we if it's okay if we're apart? Yeah, that's that's the that's the big scary part. And in one of the articles that I was reading about Gwyneth Paltrow, they had talked to a social scientist, and apparently this idea, particularly for older people, they've given it a name, of course, called LATS, living apart together. Oh, that a lot of people when they're older, they don't want to necessarily get into. They don't want to give up their houses. They don't want to give up their own space, but they want companionship, and so they'll have two houses and they'll just live. They'll still have a little bit of their separate life, but they know like three times a week they'll see each other and they have sort of a permanent built-in boyfriend or girlfriend or date. Now, I wouldn't say that I like to think that I'm a part of the lat phenomenon, living apart together, but Ian and I have been living apart since November. And I think your mom's exactly right. That's the hard part of it is we see each other about every three weeks. Yeah. And so you have to be able to function within that. You have to be able to. So there is an element of you get used to functioning by yourself. What I miss, what I miss is just, uh, there are so many things, but I I miss the day-to-day ease of being with a person that I really, really like. For sure. I just miss being able to come home from work and lay down next to him as he's writing. All of those things. FaceTime makes a big difference. I mean, there there will be times where I just can't sleep and I'm just missing him a ton. And I'll just FaceTime him and say, can I just listen to you type? And I'll fall asleep to him typing, which is what I used to do because you would always be typing in bed. And so I would just fall asleep to him typing. So there are ways of coping that modern technology helps. But I don't think it's an ideal situation long term because I think 
there are there are ways that people fill in those gaps. Other friendships develop. And I think that's how marriages can fall apart. You can't take for granted that just the being together is part of the glue that keeps you in love and wanting to be married. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And some of those relationships, when you talk about those living apart together, I mean, it might be those second relationships where it's, you know, your husband or wife has passed away or you've ended that marriage and you want a partnership, but you don't necessarily want somebody all up in all of your business all the time. <laughs> but because I, did it. <laughs> I think about that. I think like if something happened, some people are marriage people. If if something happened to Jay down the line, I, I do not think I would ever get married again, especially I because I have children. I just do not. I don't want to mess around with money. I don't want to yep. mess around with anybody having any say over my kids. I don't want any of that. I would think that I would probably like to be in a relationship with someone and have companionship, but a full-time commitment of marriage, again, I just do not see that for me. I 100% agree. I know that to my core. That and I never saw anyone that I thought I want. I was engaged before I married Jay, and I couldn't see myself marrying that person. <laughs> <laughs> That's a problem. Good thing. Good thing you, you you didn't marry that one. He was the only, Jay's the only one I've ever seen myself marrying and being married to. Right. And even, even being engaged to someone else. Red flag. Here's a little uh, PSA for you. Pro tip. If you are engaged to someone and you can't see yourself getting married to them. <laughs> You should you should wrap it up. You should wrap it up. <laughs> yeah. And there's no shame in your game. You start talking about broken off engagements. We should do an episode on broken off engagements. Yeah, a lot we, of people would um would weigh in and talk about oh that. Oh yeah, I've got some thoughts about that. Well, real quickly, so it was funny last night I said to Ian, "What are the benefits of us not living together?" And he said, "None." And I said, come on, just play the game with me. <laughs> Stop being so great. Stop being so wonderful. Stop it. Because I know there are some benefits of me not being next to you. And he said, okay, there are fewer negotiations. True. He said, True. I really, he said, I really enjoy that. He said, I, because for our house in Kansas, and I think this is really fair. He said, until you're living with me, you don't get a choice in most decisions I'm going to make about the house. There you go. Which is fine. I think that's totally fair because our situation is if I'm being perfectly frank, is my choice. I really love my job. I really love what I'm doing. And so I have created this situation. So I thought, okay, that's fair. That's a decent negotiation. You put up all of your Marvel comic stuff and I'll be fine with that. So (laughs) there are fewer negotiations. And then the only other thing he said, he gets more writing done. But he said, no, this is not, this is not ideal. This no, is not it's a not. The negotiation part is real, though. And if you yeah. understand that marriage is one big negotiation, Constantly. marriage is so much about negotiations and so much about managing expectations. And those are the things I think nobody talks about when it comes to marriage. I mean, they say you have to figure out your finances and you should make sure that you have the same religious background and all of those things. And I I really believe that all that takes a backseat to negotiations and expectations. Yep. I 100% agree. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get podcasts and share it with a friend. If you have a moment, please give us a review at Apple Podcasts. Hey, you've got to hear this from Miss Debbie. That's how she spells her name. Miss Debbie. She says, saddest part was when I came to the end of my binge listening and am anxiously awaiting the next installment. Love you both. Thanks for sharing and caring. We're doing as many as we can, as fast as we can. Good news for Miss Debbie. She's so cute. We are keeping it going. No plans to wrap this bad boy up. Best 
Best to the Nest is just getting started. And we would love for you to reach out to us. You can find us both of us on Instagram at Best to the Nest or at Eliz Reese and at It's Me Marjorie One. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, my darling. Until next time. Bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>